but uh, I kind of like poly terms because they um, allow us to look at, you know, the kind of the deeper meaning of words. We don't automatically know what it means, right? So we tend to maybe look a little bit deeper about what does this mean? So tonight I'm going to talk about dukkha. And I would like us all to just try to take this in into our intuitive awareness instead of conceptually, even though it's pretty conceptual. And I'll read this short story to kind of explain why I'm I'm asking that. So uh, this is the story of the sixth Zen patriarch. A nun asked the sixth Zen patriarch, I have studied the Enlightenment Sutra for many years, yet there are many areas I do not quite understand. Please enlighten me. The patriarch responded, I am illiterate. Please read out the characters to me and perhaps I will be able to explain the meaning. The nun was shocked and said, You can't even recognize the characters? How are you able then to understand the meaning? The Zen patriarch said, Truth has nothing to do with words. Truth can be likened to the bright moon in the sky. Words in this case can be likened to a finger. The finger can point to the moon's location. However, the finger is not the moon. To look at the moon, it is necessary to gaze beyond the finger, right? So, take these words into your intuitive awareness, like a little finger. So we all have thoughts and theories, even Buddhist theories brilliant Buddhist theories about what is happening in a moment. And while we're doing this practice, this opportunity to look directly at experience as it unfolds and how it unfolds is a great opportunity to let go of those theories. So, dukkha. A simple translation I'm sure most of you know is that dukkha means suffering. It refers to a range of sensations in the mind and in the body. And actually, it, you would think that it's only associated with unpleasant Vedana or unpleasant feeling tone or neutral feeling tone, but it's not. There could be also really pleasant feeling tone, that is dukkha. So, dukkha has a very uh, fundamental place in Buddhist teaching. It's both one of the four ennobling truths, and it is also one of the three characteristics of existence. So, first the four ennobling truths. And I like to say that each of the noble truths has a verb associated with it. I love that. They're not to be just taken as conceptual reality. There's a verb there. They're to be worked with. 
The first is, this is the noble truth of dukkha, suffering. Dukkha is to be known. The verb is to know dukkha. This is the noble truth of the origins of dukkha. It is clinging, craving, greed, hatred, and delusion in all of its manifestations. This is to be let go. This is the noble truth of freedom, awakening, happiness, and bliss. This noble truth is to be experienced and realized. This is the noble truth of the way leading to freedom and awakening. Maga, the path, the path of practice, the Eightfold Path. Sila Samadhi Panya. This is to be cultivated. And that's what we're doing here. We are strengthening our path factors towards awakening and freedom and weakening the causes and conditions of dukkha. So there are, in the Buddha's cosmology, there are three types of dukkha. The first type of dukkha is dukkha dukkha, the suffering of suffering. And this is just those things in life that are common humanity things. Sometimes we call them the first arrow. The things that are just inevitable of having been born into these human bodies. And even our animal relatives as well. This is the dukkha of giving birth, of growing old, of illness, and the process of dying. So there's a story uh, Tanisara tells of Ajahn Chah. Ajahn Chah goes into the hospital to visit a really, uh, a a monk uh, from the monastery. And the monk just is saying, this is so painful. This is, you know, I have so much grief. This shouldn't be happening. It's so terrible. And Ajahn Chah said, if it shouldn't be happening, it wouldn't be happening. I think just pointing to, you know, the inevitability and the uh, inevitability and non-personal nature of being born into these bodies. We are all part of an exquisite club. You know, my um, partner got really sick a couple years ago. He got two kinds of cancer at the same time. And I felt like, it, you know, of course it was a huge shock. And then I came to mind, wow, this is what it's like to have someone you love have cancer. And, you know, cancer is like the second leading cause of death in the world, or in the United States. And I felt like I had just joined an exquisite club that I had really didn't understand before that time.
The second type of dukkha is viparanama dukkha, the suffering of change or impermanence. So this is having something really great that you like, like a job or a relationship or a place to live and then having that change. Losing what we want And then it's also, you know, being fine and well and then having something pop up that we don't want. The suffering when our stuff changes. Here's a quote about that. Or actually, this is from Ajahn Chah too. Having insight into impermanence means not allowing ourselves to suffer. It's a matter of investigating with wisdom. For example, we obtain something we consider good or pleasurable, and we're so happy. Take a close look at the goodness and pleasure. Sometimes after having it for a time, we get fed up with it. We want to give it away or sell it. If there's nobody who wants to buy it, we are ready to throw it away. Why? Everything is impermanent, inconsistent and changing. That's why. If we can't sell it or throw it away, we start to suffer. This entire issue is just like that. And once one incident is fully understood, no matter how many more similar situations arise, They are all understood to be just the same. That's simply the way things are. As the saying goes, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. Boy, wouldn't it be great to see the truth of impermanence and being able to apply it across the board. So how did Ajahn Chah know about Craigslist and eBay? How did he know about the value village and the goodwill? Take my stuff, please take it. So that is Viparanama, Viparanama Dukkha. And then the third type of suffering is Sankara Dukkha. This is my favorite kind of suffering. All pervasive dukkha. <laughs> All pervasive dukkha. Nothing in life is perfect. The suffering of ego clinging. Just the struggle with karma as it unfolds. Just the realization that no conditioned thing Nothing in our uh, environment, nothing that we're told by our mass media or our economic system that we absolutely have to have for happiness, none of that is ever going to work for us. It's never going to work for us. I think uh, as people of color, uh, one of the elements of uh, Sankara Dukkha is microaggressions. 
microaggressions. They are everywhere all the time, aren't they? They're, you know, build up that allostatic load for us, right? Impacting our, our wellness. So, um, you know, there's a website, many of you probably know, there's a website, a microaggressions website, where if you need to just, if you've had a microaggression happen, you can go on that website and actually just do a little blurb about it just to like maybe express it or get it out. And here are some of those things. Here are a few of the quotes from that, web, from that website. This is what people wrote about what happened to them and their microaggressions. So this is one entry. Hey, should I go to the steakhouse or to the sushi place for dinner with my family? Friend. I think you should go to the steakhouse because you guys um, all know how to make sushi, right? Professor. Where did you go to school? Where did you go to school to write like this? Me, in New Jersey. Professor, no, I mean, was it a private school? Me, no, is something wrong? Professor, well, you say ask instead of axe and your writing is impeccable. Me, okay. Oh, and this is, uh, this was something actually that one of uh, a retreatant told me. He was registering for a retreat at, a, medi- at a, a beloved meditation center that will not be named. <laughs> Standing in the reg- registration line, seeing other people not on the list, attendance, you know, the registrars, you know, said, oh, let me go look it up. Let me look on the website. What's going on? But f- when he got up to the line, I mean, to the front of the line and... Uh, you know, his name wasn't on the list. The attendant says, are you sure this is the event you registered for? You know, that's one of the things that we open up to when we are sitting in silent practice as we're just, you know, what is the biggest expression of love? It's attention, right? Whenever we're showing love to children or to our partners or to anyone, it's through attention. We're just there as a witness to that life, to that experience. And that's what we're asked to do here is just to be a witness to all of it, which includes a lot of dukkha. And guess what? If you're sitting there really suffering with physical pain, with emotional purification, with memories that of emotions that just want to be felt, congratulations, that's an insight. That is the first noble truth being known. That is the path to freedom. And, you know, we have to temper that and know, know how much we can open to in a moment, but it's not a mistake that this is happening. My, I could say that most of the biggest insights that I have had have come in the middle of like a panic attack or something. You know, it's not a mistake that that's happening. Uh, for whenever I do intensive practice, and for particularly the first five years of intensive practice, 
I sobbed in my room every day. You know, it was a release of, you know, somatic trauma, of, you know, intergenerational trauma, of trauma in this life, trauma in this day. You know, emotions just want to be felt before they can do their thing. They just want to be acknowledged. So, guess what? There is something that we can do about about dukkha. Part two, freedom from dukkha. How do we bring skill and wholesomeness to dukkha in our practice together? How is dukkha to be known? How do we have insight into dukkha? Well, guess what? We're all doing it right here. Satipatthana, Vipassana, insight meditation, mindfulness meditation. This is the way to do it. The Buddha said, this is the only way, O bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the destruction of suffering and grief, for reaching the right path, for the attainment of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. Man, that's a pretty big claim. We have this friend, Michael Yellowbird, Dr. Michael Yellowbird. He calls mindfulness neurodecolonization. It is decolonization. It's decolonizing all of our our very deluded understanding of the world. The vipalasas, the distortions of perception and thought and view that are really mostly hidden from us but are just how we walk around and how we perceive and make sense of the world around us. We need to decolonize those, decolonize those views that are based on people of color and women and queer people and trans people as somehow defective and primitive and savage and not worthy and women, you know, all of those ways. And that's what we're doing with this practice. We're decolonizing that. You know, we can bring our attention specifically to that. To, you know, these identities that we have. Better than, worse than, equal to. A measurement of ourselves compared to others. You know, maybe it's the the yogi getting food in front of us. Or some uh, Vipassana romance we have, right? Or Vipassana vendetta. (laughs) There's always people that we fall in love with and people that we just can't stand. 
And it's all based on vipalas. It's based on stories that we make up. Stories that we make up. But you know what? We're not making up these stories. These stories are making up us. These stories are making up us. So we use our mindfulness with some kindness in it. And we see the lenses that we view the world. For me, one big one for me was self-pity. I was sitting a three-month retreat, and um, one of the teachers, who was a great teacher, started talking about Christopher Columbus as the model for inner exploration. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually started having a panic attack. I said, oh my God, is Columbus here? (laughs) (laughs) But it was so great, because through this panic attack and just this opening up to this incredibly ingrained, just the deepest uh, mind state that was so habitual with me from childhood, I just saw this lens of self-pity and fear that was really robbing me of a huge amount of agency in my life. And, you know, with mindfulness, we get the frame around that, right? We get the parameters of these mind states that, you know, are productive of thoughts or productive emotions, but they are deeply held, you know, screens in front of how we view the world. And we need, with our mindfulness, to get a frame around that, to really see the parameters of that, where it begins and where it ends. So that when it is predominant, we can say, oh, there you are again, self-pity, self-pity. You know, it can be very useful. And, you know, I've been able to decondition a lot of that. Another way that we can deal with our dukkha is actually... um, you know, to let go of kind of the Western view of what constitutes happiness. You know, and a Western view is that happiness is self-enhancement and pleasure and satisfaction. It has a, it feels like spiritual life or the belief is that spiritual life is irrelevant. And uh, the way to attain happiness is to avoid suffering. And it's about mastery. But from a Buddhist perspective, happiness is self-transcendence, transcending the clingingness of becoming and becoming and becoming. Have you noticed how many of your thoughts are you telling yourself who you are? It is so bizarre. It's like, don't I know who I am? So um, another aspect of Buddhist wellness is human flourishing, awakening. It's much more about a sense of contentment than pleasure. It's a relevance of spiritual life and training. And it actually values suffering. And it's more about harmony than mastery. So, you know, taking this different view, we can welcome suffering as the truth of existence and just you know, still have a huge amount of wellness in spite of the suffering. You know, we've seen people like that who have wellness 
even though they're, you know, have a huge amount of suffering. And we can set that intention, hold a positive frame of mind. Actually, one of our dear friends has developed this intervention where she actually, with her tribal fellows, walks, re-rocks the Choctaw Trail of Tears. Intentionally, that's what she does. She re-walks the Trail of Tears as a way to just understand the meaning of that. You know, she gets in touch and just is there walking with her relatives and really seeing their intention of, you know, we're doing this to protect seven generations in the future. Oh, actually, yeah. You could think about Geronimo. He understood that well-being and happiness was not about just surrendering to how other people viewed him or wanted, wanted for him or his community. So that's one way, opening with to dukkha, with mindfulness, and knowing, hey, this is dukkha. This is mental dukkha. This is physical dukkha. I am part of an exquisite club of humans. Uh, and then recognizing how we deny our dukkha, how we just, you know, evade our afflictions. We outright denial of it. We rationalize it. We explain it away, or we push it into the background. Some people call this spiritual bypass. Spiritual bypass. Where, you know, I'm not going to get into that emotional stuff because I'm a spiritual person. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. (laughs) Other ways that we evade our dukkha is by occupying ourselves with external fixes, drugs and alcohol, sex, spending blaming you know there's definitely causes and conditions that are external to our suffering but who can heal that who can heal that but us we're torturing ourselves with guilt so we recognize how we are pushing aside or identifying with our our dukkha A third way of holding it skillfully is holding suffering and mindfulness and clear comprehension. And with acceptance. Investigation. But we don't want to hold it with too much... um, theoretical thought, you know, we can just hold it with direct, um, bare awareness. Uh, This is painful here, this is painful there. And actually opening to suffering is the proximal cause for compassion to arise. Compassion. And actually compassion feels good. Compassion feels good. And, you know, once we get back get past the breakers of the hindrances on our journey together here. 
you know, the uh, hindrances are like the breakers that are pushing us back to shore before we get out to the open waters. And once we get out to the open waters, we get the seven factors of awakening, right? We get mindfulness and investigation and energy and effort and physical and mental joy and rapture and tranquility and concentration and equanimity. And it's so interesting. I remember I was sitting with my teacher and I was just feeling a really big sense of contentment. Maybe it was one of the seven factors. But I had a lot of dukkha coming up and I was holding all this dukkha in a field of joy. I'm sure many of you have felt that. It's so interesting. So let's do our work of the noble truth. Let's know suffering, understand suffering. Let's let go of clinging. Let's realize freedom. And let's cultivate Maga, the path, Sila Samadhi Panya. So let's sit for a while.
as we finish this meditation, one other approach to dukkha or suffering is giving ourselves some self-compassion. That could just be a gentle, loving witness to what's happening to this mind-body process. You could use some words like, yeah, you're suffering, there's suffering here. This is what it feels like to suffer. Give yourself a little hug. There's good evidence that oxytocin, you know, is released. When we give ourselves a little hug, just hold ourselves and just witness it. And then sometimes the compassion phrases are really wonderful. I care deeply for my suffering. May I hold my suffering with kindness and gentleness. May I be free from pain and suffering. May we all be free from pain and suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.